Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, part two, Homo sapiens with Paddy O'Connell. More incredible stories coming up, goodness me. Um, yeah. Here it is. If you haven't heard part one, it's on the feed. You were working at a big institution, the BBC at the time. Were you all out or was it closeted? Yes, we were all out. There were some misunderstandings, mm-hmm. I remember. It was all very well known, but it wasn't sort of... Now, I think, mm. now I think it feels that you might declare your identity in an office mm-hmm. in some way more obviously. I mean, if you think of pronouns of things on emails and yeah. we just, the people who knew us all very well knew that we were all, you know, gay guys. I think back then you would know better than I. Well, it was the same as when I was younger. You, people knew in work, but it wasn't like you could go to your line manager and say, hey, I'm being disrespected because I'm gay. They'd be like, well. Yes, also, yeah, that's very true, you know, and the sort of the whole mental health journey was scarcely begun at that stage did feel still like a very like a totally different age i mean we've recently been talking in the news about the horror of the noughties mm-hmm. yeah and how contrasting the noughties is to now which as everyone knows that's 20 years ago well i'm now taking you back 30 years yes so i'm going back to the 90s well um it's interesting you say that because i was in preparation for our chat i was re-watching liquid news of which you were the host and i was so surprised by how mean it was. Yes, it was. And it could it, be. And could could be mean. Yeah. And how mean we all were. You yeah. know what I mean? But how do you feel about that now? Well, I mean, I can't remember. I was the host for the final year. I closed it down. <laughs> um, it was the real knack was to, was to have warmth at the heart of it, to be a right. fan. And I don't think I always did have that myself. It, it was, was sort of pop culture on BBC Three, right? Yes, it was. Yes, yeah. it was. And it was a great show. It was truly a great show. And I think certainly my weakness, if I remember right, was because I wasn't always a fan of, of the people. And I could sometimes ask nasty questions. Mm. I mean, who's what's Mark in Take That? Who's that one? Mark Orange. No, the other no, one. No, sorry, Jason Orange, Mark. Let's just, for the edit, call him Mark from Take That. <laughs> As opposed to Mark <laughs> Orange. all the shit stays in love with <laughs> Mark from Take That. Mark Orange. <laughs> you really have failed. But okay. Robbie started doing some gigs on his own. Yeah. And I think, if I remember correctly, Robbie filled Nebworth. Yeah. And it was amazing. And Mark cropped up on the stage as a surprise. So Mark was telling the story on the set live. And I remember saying to him, oh, yeah. and Mark, did you realise that you yourself couldn't fill Nebworth? I mean, I remember saying that, and like his team looked at me like I was absolutely 
mm. foolish. I was foolish. I didn't mean it to say that. I, I, it's awful. It should have been phrased, you must have been so proud for your friend Robbie to film Nebworth. Yeah. You know, because that would have elicited the same feeling. I, I mean, I do. I made loads of mistakes oh. and I make them now. I mean, you know, it's a very, it's a very, Amen, sister. it's a human business. You're looking people in the eye and they sometimes don't understand. Yeah. Sometimes they do. You do your preparation, you, you get better. But I do, yes, I think you're right. It was a mean time. But because but, Sarah Pascoe was talking about this with Graham Norton the other day, Sarah Pascoe, comedian. Yes. She was saying how, as a comedian, how much it's changed that people, they, if you made a mean joke now, yeah. nobody would laugh. Whereas back then, celebrities were not people. They were things that you could kick and da, 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 that was the atmosphere. And, and I think because of the mental health conversation, people have understood that they are people. You know, like it was just, a, it was a taking the piss out of people in the way that everybody did back then. We were just all complicit, I would say. We all read, we all picked up Heat magazine, we all read it. And there was a ton of stuff going on at that time that was not acceptable now. I mean, your many guests who appear on the podcast, it's like there's a, one of the common denominators I find is that the guests you have in their middle age, which I am one of, mm -hmm. you know, we do spend a lot of time referring back. And you have to just hope that, that when you talk about people's experience of coming out at school, for instance, yeah. or in their mental health struggles, journeys, experiences, successes, you just hope that the word progress means that it's got better. Yes. You know, because and I genuinely think it has, although it can't be taken for granted. But I've just begun this podcast, what must seem like seven hours ago now, <laughs> talking about a wedding, yeah, a same-sex marriage, you know, which was out of the question in the years when, when we began talking about. No, and I think, you know, Zander Murray, one, the second Scottish male footballer to come out ever, said to me, one of the things that he loved about the podcast is it, was, it wasn't just about gay life. It was listening to gay life and people thriving. I was also saying I had a time, of, a, a very happy time. Mm. as a young man socialising with people and it wasn't sleazy and it wasn't dark and it wasn't mm. unhappy and it didn't end in a gutter. Yeah. It was hilarious. It was fabulous. It was, mm. you know, mind enhancing and it ended up taking me to the States to live in America, you know, it's just so yes. it's endless positivity about people being honest and fun to meet and creative and different experiences, different backgrounds. Which is remarkable and amazing, and I'm thrilled to hear that. But it did also that time come with a certain expectation of like, you're lucky to be able to do all those things. Yeah, but because of what had happened before. I mean, yeah. so many gay guys didn't make it. You know, that's the whole point. So you were meant to be grateful. Yeah, I, th yeah, I think probably that's because because you then you've got to go back to the 80s when mm. I was a teenager. And of course, that was a very different time. You know, that was Section 28. Yeah. That was the advent of AIDS with the don't die of ignorance iceberg, you know, yeah. basically came over as don't have sex. Mm -hmm. And talk to me a bit more about that time growing up. What was your childhood like? So, I mean, I had a childhood in two parts, really, mm -hmm. which was very comfortable middle class upbringing mm -hmm. and then catastrophe. Huh. It's like a, it's two, it's a tale of two halves. So, in one month in 1977, my father died, mm. my grandmother died, and my aunt died in whose house we were living in a sort oh of God. rather Jane Austen style way. I was living in my aunt's house wow. and they all died. And I was 11. And, you know, that stopped me. 
I think, wow. stopped me emotionally, stopped me sort of developing in the in really? the conventional teenage way, a, a sort of arrested development, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I then rebooted. I sort of had my teenage years when I was 25. I sort uh, of began again then. But yeah. I became very kind of bulletproof mm-hmm. and at the age of 11 mm. and very strong, you know, and, mm. and I used to control what I said to people. I became quite secretive. Mm-hmm. And I remember a feeling of not wanting to let the side down because I was being brought up by a widowed mother, right. a hotel receptionist. Mm-hmm. People always tell me I'm very posh, but she mm. was a hotel receptionist. And I actually mm. went to work in the same venue as she did. Mm. So I remember feeling, you know, either don't, don't uh, break the rules or don't be caught. Yeah. You know, one of those two, which of course is quite a good space to be a closeted gay man as well because it's sort of exciting and it's secretive 11 to 25 are you aware that you're gay are you hiding it are you doing stuff are you no i think i was really slow i kind of inhaled religion actually as a teenager a bit and i was always part of a great group of friends with whom none of them was i actually feeling i must you know have relations with i don't remember feeling it for any were you in denial about that I think there's definitely some denial going on. Also, I was very sort of not as well, very closed emotionally. You couldn't really approach me. Mm-hmm. But I went through a period of time in, conversa- in social conversations, people would ask me what my dad did. And I'd concluded it was easier to tell them he was alive. Ah, right. Because, yeah. you know, do they do they really want to know that he's dead? Mm. And, you know, is it what's it going to help them, I used to mm. think. Well, inevitably, it could, obviously, I now could, it would have helped me, wouldn't mm. it? Yes. So I had a very small group of friends who all knew the truth about me mm-hmm. and we're still friends now. Mm. But one of the truths about me was not that I was having normal teenage relations with girls or boys. You know, I wasn't. I was completely closeted really until my mm. mid-twenties. And did you feel like that was a big secret or something that you just weren't engaged with? I think there was a time when it was, because when I got to uni, of course, and I'm really, you know, 21, I went to the States mm-hmm. and then that really convinced me that that would be where I'd, I needed to end up. Mm. I could see a way for me to escape mm-hmm. and start all over again. Mm. Although, in fact, although I did go to the States, I'd already come out in London. But when I got to the States, you know, it was like Technicolor experience of well, everything that had happened in London, mm. well, which was already a Technicolor experience, like Magnavision. <laughs> Smell-o-vision. Smell-o-vision. Well, it's funny because there's, there's this whole thing called queer temporality, which is about how often your teenage years are arrested. It's about many things, but in this precise example, your teenage years are arrested. So between 14 and 19, when everyone else is, you know, out there tagging everyone. That's that's me. Who said, who who came up with this theory? Because I've just said that to you. That that's... Well, it's it, queer temporality is about how things move. For LGBTQ plus people, things happen at different times yes. and slower. Well, that's me. I like that. That is That does describe how it was for me. And I hope, you know, I hope it gave me something strong. Perhaps I did something between sort of 14 and 19 or 16 and mm. 20. Maybe I invested in a different side of myself. But inevitably, mm. you can't go back. I can't I can't make it what it, what it wasn't. Yeah. I just know that the uh, people who are bereaved as children... And people, boys who don't have fathers and girls who don't have fathers and mothers, 
it is a lifelong story and mm. I didn't begin it well. Mm. I began it in a little cocoon yeah. and it made me, you know, really very sort of secretive and also this, I remembered expressly not wanting to let people down. Mm. I felt like I had to grow up. And did you feel like if you told people you were gay, that would be letting them down? I think so, yes. Mm. I mean, except that there wasn't anything to say. There was mm. no partner. So I, I always mm. used to, I think I remember saying, oh, I'll meet someone and then I'll tell everyone I'm gay. But so yes. I just remember it going on for quite a long time. And then, it, then inevitably it all got better when I came out, moved to London. But I've always had really good friends. I'm a really the centre still of, of, of a group of friends I've known for a very long time. I'm really like lucky, and by most of them, statistically, are straight people. And and is it always round at Paddy's, or are you the guest with the most? You no, know, it's definitely both. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've all. I think the pandemic was such a disruptor, wasn't it? Yeah. And there's one or two friends that I would meet religiously in the park back then. Lovely. Of and we would walk together, and I have a dog, and we were meant to be recording this podcast with Bob, with Bob, my dog. And then, you know, in a way, that was all of us coming out, wasn't it, coming after the pandemic, mm. you know, gingerly going back into relationships with people. Yeah. And, of course, you know, you find different strengths in your friends as they go on. Yes. You know, and so you, it's, uh, you know, it's indulgent to talk about me. I'm part of a group of people mm. who were sort of born in the 60s, have had a very fortunate time, really. We were able to buy a house for three times our earnings. Yeah. We had the advantages of, of, of equality improving for women, yeah. of the gay and other rainbow parts of our community, mm. progress there, improvements in mental health. So inevitably, I'm a very fortunate person, but who did have, there's no doubt about it, had this violent catastrophe, mm. which, which has always defined me, really. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How does it define you today, do you think? I, I can get very... I saw a man in the park shouting at his daughter. You know, she's probably nine. Yeah. And I just felt very upset. Yeah. Because he didn't know what he had? I don't know. I mean, it's selfish, isn't it? It's about me, but it does come out like that, really. Mm. But I do a lot of work around the subject. So 
that's a sort of mawkish sentimental example because you've asked me. Mm. But I did a lot of work with my father's generation. Mm. And my mother, towards the end of her life, did a lot of work with her mm -hmm. because of that unique experience. My dad had been a D-Day commando. Mm. And although he did die in his 50s, in the 70s, um, many of his comrades were alive. Mm. And I got to meet them. Wow. And they were my dad's friends when he, were tw when he, when he was 20. Mm. So that was very valuable years and years i used to hang out with them really got to know them they told me about him wow and then my mum had been a wren at bletchley park yeah that's incredible and she you know she brought me up so she was one of the code breakers right she wouldn't have allowed you to say that right she was a wren who fed the colossus machine okay. which was basically the world's first electronic programmable computer invented by a post office engineer called Tommy Flowers. Mm -hmm. But we used to go, I used to drive her to reunions okay. and she wanted to tell young women that they could get into computing and engineering. Mm. So that was a good thing to do. I don't have regrets about, about that. But no, I can be triggered like now. Mm. just by weird my friends are therapists say that's kind of it's about me you know it's a t something i didn't have so it's entirely selfish really i'm not really caring for the little girl who's been shouted at yeah i'm convincing myself that i am but i'm really sort of upset really god i don't see it like that but i'm not i feel upset for her Poor but do you thing. not feel that, like, I, I feel when you describe that situation, it's about that man shouting at a daughter, not knowing how special that he is able to be around for that child and have that relationship. That's what I was struck. Yeah, with. I think that's, I mean, but that shouldn't, shouldn't trigger tears in me. I'm 57. Mm -hmm. I think you're, you've put it much more eloquently. Mm -hmm. Having been bulletproof, aged 11, mm -hmm. you know, maybe very sort mm -hmm. of paper thin, at 57. Well, but you also have been... There was a moment where you got upset on air, right? On oh, radio, yes. Yes, when there was. I read a poem. And tell me more about that. Sorry, well, that was the... That was Emmy, Emily Blacher. Yeah. Whose boyfriend, Remy Oshlik, mm -hmm. had been a cameraman killed in Syria, I think at the same time as Mari Colvin. Yeah. And she wrote a love letter. Mm -hmm. Funnily enough, one of my colleagues at the time was James Longman, who we mentioned earlier at his wedding. Yes. He and I speak French, and mm -hmm. we'd always trade stories about the French culture, which is very different to ours and very exciting if you can penetrate it. Mm -hmm. And he'd spotted that Emily had written a love letter to her dead boyfriend. So she agreed to record it for us, and I'd heard it on Saturday, and it was very moving. Mm -hmm. And then it got to Sunday, which is the day of my program. And then suddenly I looked and I realized everyone was staring into the space, mm -hmm. listening to her. So it was just a moment of truth, really. Yeah. And I, I couldn't actually open my mouth. It wow. wasn't really because I was unaware of what she said. I was aware of what she I'd read it. Yes. I'd read it in French. I'd read it in English. Yeah. She had recorded it on Saturday. It was the fact that these people at the broadcasting house we were just listening to it yes so i just saw all these people 
stop. Yeah. You could feel that everyone was breathing at the same time. Yeah. So was. I was unable to speak, which is not good in this. It's very unprofessional. And also, you know, there's this long been this emergency tape that if the if the programs go silent, there's, the transmitters can break because they, they have to turn more energy on. To, they, oh. don't, they don't have any sound. So after 14 seconds or something, an emergency tape casing. So I nearly triggered the Radio 4 emergency tape. Wow. But uh, no, that's true. That was another example. That's another story of, you know, it's linked to grief. But it was actually, it was about the reaction of people mm. around me. It was, I was stunned. But also what it makes me think is that you are someone who is in contact with their inner world and it comes out. And that is a, that's a lifetime's work. Because often people who suffer big trauma when they're young can't be in contact with that. And I do think that is also linked to LGBT. Well, I mean, the podcast that you do mm. and the radio that I do is very intimate. Yeah. And you only, you're meant to really think you only have one listener. Yes. And there's obviously no point if there's no listeners. Mm. And there probably are more than one listener. Yeah. But you're not talking to a big crowd. You're talking to one person. Mm -hmm. So I just had nothing to say to that one person. Absolutely yeah. nothing to say. In that moment. In that yeah. moment. And yeah, that's uh, incredible. Mm, it did happen. Can I ask you about, um, full disclosure, this is from your Wikipedia. Not uh, something I like to draw for facts. I'm glad were, you, been... were you really meant to be at a meeting in the World Trade Center on September the 11th? Yes. I'd been, 9-11 was a Tuesday, 9-10 mm -hmm. uh, was a Monday, mm -hmm. and there was a week-long series of meetings in the basement hotel in the North Tower, I think it was, and I went on Monday. Then I said to my friend Steve, I said, why don't you go tomorrow, mm -hmm. Tuesday? On Tuesday, I was going to go later, and I overslept on on 9-11 for the meeting. Steve survived as well. He'd got he got to the meeting. But I was on my way at oh. the time. You know, that that uh, was another big chapter of my life, the the 9-11 horror. Mm. And also that kind of bonded me to the US. Uh -huh. I've always loved Americans actually. Mm -hmm. And it's probably unfashionable. So <laughs> I'm proud to be able to know my own mind. <laughs> and do you, presumably you were on the subway or something when it was yeah, all happening? Yeah, uh, my subway was stopped mm -hmm. uh, just below sort of 14th Street in mm -hmm. the end. And then it came back up the line. I remember we, went, we were going downtown and we came back up and they wow. disgorged me outside the old St. Vincent's Hospital, which is around about 14th Street. And that was, funnily enough, where they took Titanic survivors oh, really? from the Carpathia. It's a very historic... And they were shouting for blood and the fire engines were going downtown, down the avenue, and I was Whoa. standing there trying to get a phone signal. Um, and then you ended up live reporting. That from, night, yeah, um, we uh, anchored BBC One. But it was a very, it was a very horrific time for journalism um, because a lot of people went missing. You know, mm. I remember one of my colleagues dispatched a cameraman down to the towers and he was gone for six hours we didn't know what had happened to him he did come back but we didn't know the communications you know the communications went down mm. um and then weeks weeks and weeks afterwards i called a banking analyst who we used because i did a wall street show mm -hmm. and i called 
you know, this man to appear on the show. And they said, no, didn't, didn't you know he died? He was on the 117th floor and he died. And when the stock market reopened, I was, I was on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, which I think was six days after 9-11. Mm. And the, in the air was the smell of burnt flesh. I mean, it was just, it was just the most extraordinary thing to, to be there for. And of course, it's so long ago now. But, you know, it's like it, it dates me. Mm. But, you know, I remember very well bonding with New York. And they did this amazing thing. They brought all the stars out to perform on the street, saying, go back to the theatre. Oh, wow. Really? Go out. Buy things. I mean, it's a very American response. It yes. was go out. Go shopping, go Money. to the shows. Money. Yeah. And all this. Yeah. And the thing is that I was a finance, I was the Wall Street dude. Yeah. And actually, anyone you know who runs a cafe, mm. a pub, runs a shop, your listeners who make things, they want commerce. Yeah. You know, commerce is good. Yes. Hello, buy things. <laughs> so it was just amazing to see all these old hoofers coming out saying, <laughs> Broadway's open. Wow. And all the stars, you know, there's a video, you can Google it and find the, find it from the week after really yeah and it was it's that thing about agency mm -hmm. you know what are we going to do mm. we've been our way of life's been attacked what are we going to do yes and do you think that's typically american i think they're really good at some of that stuff mm -hmm. you know and they, we're naturally quite cynical about these things yes i mean we then suffered our horrible attack on 7-7 and i was back back in london when that happened <clears throat> you know and Inevitably, people do, in London did come together. Of mm. course, they did. But if you look at the, what's happened in Manchester as well with the with the arena bombing, it's like it's been a more private sort of grief for people. But some of the people who have emerged are very positive about. It. They want to tell the story of their children. Mm. They don't want them just forgotten. Yes, I think that's an important thing. Whether whatever country you're in, mm. these attacks that we've all had, mm. you don't want to be left feeling terrorized that your agency is removed by these mm. murderers. You yes. want to, you've got to do stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you're capable, and I've spoken to many bereaved parents who lost their children and sometimes they're stuck. They can't move. They really? can't breathe. And they, this is what life is for in those circumstances, isn't it? Mm. Yes. And as we draw to a close, buddy, I know you're doing newscast which is terribly exciting but what's happening next for you well that's only two editions up three editions old yes you know, and that's with laura koonsberg who's a much bigger journalist name than me so she, so she's linked well i'm linked rubbish i'm linked together with her and she's you're great on it she's really nice to me <laughs> i mean it's just you know i thought she was too busy to notice but she's really funny and kind and i went to lunch with her and we really want it to be kind of authentic yeah but that's really exciting. I wasn't expecting that. That's yes. very new. I'm, and then I'm trying to write a book about Tommy Flowers. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Who I mentioned earlier. Exactly. I, I've bought a Citroen 2CV, which was my first ever car. Oh, wicked. And I just want to drive it around France Great. talking to French people. Great. Yeah. Um, and is the car in France or here? No, curiously it's not, but it, it, it will be there. <laughs> it's it's left-hand drive. Okay, fine. Yeah. Well, that's plenty to be getting on with. Okay, thank you, Paddy, for taking the time to chat. I could have talked for hours to that man. 
he's just a true original. I think that it was, you know, it was a tough conversation at points when he was talking about his family and he got upset. And I think that uh, I'm just always in awe of somebody who can be that vulnerable. I think it's an incredible quality. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot, talking about grief is really hard. Um, he's an example to us all. Now, in, next week, we've got a really fascinating episode. You know all these DNA tests everybody's been doing and discovering all these different things about themselves? Well, we're going to be talking to Luke Davies, who did a DNA test and that exact thing happened to him. He discovered... I'm just going to say huge things about his family. It's become a BBC documentary. And this conversation with him is incredible. Learning about what it is to discover huge things about your heritage, what that means, what that means for your queerness, how to come out again to your entire new family, should there be one. Very, very interesting. So that's coming up next week. Really interesting episode. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com is how you email us. At homosapiens on Instagram is how you... Instagram us. Those are the two ways you can contact us. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.